Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. Today we've got another video in the saga of Activision Blizzard versus California. If you're interested in our previous videos, please do check out the playlist California versus Activision Blizzard, a legal view, and of course the disclaimer that we try to give in all of these videos is that I personally have a family member working for an Activision Blizzard subsidiary. Please do judge these videos as you see fit. Based on that fact, I try to present this information in as unbiased a manner as I can, but I feel it's important for you to know everything about the tilt of somebody like me on YouTube giving you this information. Now, without further ado, let's talk about the last 48 hours or so at Activision Blizzard because some big stuff happened and we're going to talk about it. Here we've got a Verge article entitled Activision Blizzard Shareholder says company's response doesn't go nearly far enough. SOC Investment Group slams choice of Wilmer Hale law firm to investigate abuse claims. And of course, the choice of Wilmer Hale has been the subject of much discussion in this video series. Bobby Kotick, CEO of Activision Blizzard, has announced that Wilmer Hale will be doing a review of the Activision Blizzard and presumably its subsidiary harassment and other policies and the employee group that has formed the proto-union, as I describe it here in our most recent video, has said that's not good enough because Wilmer Hale generally represents employers, which is undoubtedly the case. And others have said it's not good enough because, as we pointed out in this devil in the details video, it turns out that Wilmer Hale has Activision Blizzard as an existing client. They did securities work for them. So that was always going to be a potential problem. But the SOC group goes a bit farther. And fortunately for us, because they are what we call an activist investor, that's not intended to be derogatory, but they take positions in companies to make hay and to potentially move things on the agenda and to have votes amongst the shareholders that change the way a company operates. As an activist investor, they put up the letters publicly that they give to these companies and they present for us a lot to talk about. Now, the SOC Investment Group has not always been called the SOC Investment Group. If we go to their webpage, we see that it was formerly known as the CTW Investment Group. And if that name sounds familiar to you, it should. And thank you for being in virtual legality for so long. CTW is the name of the investment group that was for Change to Win, a group of labor unions that work together to achieve political ends, either through their private ownership of companies, as we see here, or through regulatory lobbying and the like. If we go and we look at the Change to Win Strategic Organization Center, which that SOC is giving name to the investment group we're about to look at, we see that it's described as follows. We are a democratic federation of labor unions representing more than 4.5 million working men and women. We believe in the power of collective action to serve as a counterweight to corporate interests and big money in Washington. Through innovative campaigns in the private sector economy, we strive to ensure that every person has a living wage, their workplace rights protected, benefits to support their family, and dignity in retirement. And I'm mentioning this because like any time we read a letter or we read an article, it's important to understand where the author is coming from, what the tilt is on the side of this particular letter, this particular investment group. And you see also references to them representing 4.5 million working men and women. That comes out in what this investment group actually is, which is it takes investor positions so it can send these letters and so it can participate in shareholder votes and do proxies and things like that. But for the most part, it appears that they represent, they are a lobbying arm through the private sector 
of these other unions and pension plans that in all likelihood have the big money in these companies. So as we see here from their description, they hold corporations and their leadership accountable for irresponsible and unethical corporate behavior and excessive executive pay, which we'll see referenced in this letter, reflecting the long-term interests of workers and their families invested in union pension funds. The SOC Investment Group supports regulatory and shareholder initiatives to ensure independent and accountable directors, reasonable executive compensation practices, and sound environmental human capital and other business policies. Founded in February 2006 as the CTW Investment Group changed to win, the SOC Investment Group works with pension funds sponsored by unions affiliated with the Strategic Organizing Center, a coalition of unions representing more than 4 million members to enhance long-term shareholder returns through active ownership, activist investing. Members of SOC affiliates participate in Taft-Hartley plans with over $250 billion in assets, which are the deferred wages of workers and their families, also called workers' capital. So they've got these pension fans, pension funds in these plans, and they help represent them. They're effectively a lobbying arm through the investment sector. And to the extent that you are aligned with their positions here and want to see these kinds of changes, they're you know doing what you should be doing as an activist investor. But it's in that light that we have to read this letter that they've sent to Activision Blizzard, remembering that the impetus behind all of this is a lawsuit on behalf of the state of California that says, you're not paying or promoting or terminating women equitably to men and you're harassing women or have created a harassment environment in your company. And that's what California has sued over. And one of the issues that I think rises up here, and you saw it mentioned a little bit when we were talking about the employee group and their demand letters for their walkout here in virtual legality, is that it's pretty easy to look at Activision Blizzard right now as effectively a kind of wounded animal. And as a wounded animal, to take everything that you can from whatever your particular position is. And one of the issues I think that I have with that as an approach is it gives Activision Blizzard cover. And we'll talk about that as we look at this letter. It gives them cover to say, oh, this is just what SOC always asks for. This is just what CTW always asks for. It's not specifically related to the issues at hand here. And so if you're in the executive boardrooms, if you're in the C-level suites, it's easier to dismiss kind of the, the overreach or the, the, the grasp of an investment group like this, other activist investors, the employee group, when they start asking for things that maybe can be justified by the lawsuit from California. We'll see, in fact, SOC does a great deal of work to try to justify this letter and their requests based on that lawsuit, but that are really more specific to what they always ask for. Right? If you look at the SOC's latest engagements, you have this letter we're about to read. Then you have Electronic Arts. We urge against paying, uh, voting against the say on pay proposal. We urge voting against the say on pay proposal. SOC letter to Mr. Louis Ubanas, Chair Compensation Committee to Electronic Arts. Got to work on comp. Got to work on comp. Vote against say on pay. Work on comp. Oppose this specific director. We urge JP Morgan to have a racial equity audit again and again and again. This is what they do. This is why they take these positions. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when we get a letter now talking to Activision Blizzard about this specific situation, and it's the usual laundry list of SOC requests, I think it's easier for the executive to say, yeah, yeah, okay, that's the usual list of requests. It's not specific. It's not focused on what our particular problem is now. And whether you like it or not, I think it's easier for somebody in that C-level suite to say, yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough, SOC. And we'll see exactly what they do here. Dear Mr. Morgado, who apparently is the name of the independent director or one of the independent directors on the Activision Blizzard board, 
While we appreciate the improved tone and increased detail in CEO Bobby Kotick's recent letter to Activision Blizzard employees, customers, and shareholders, the changes Mr. Kotick has announced do not go nearly far enough to address the deep and widespread issues with equity inclusion and human capital management at the company. Now, if that rings a bell, that's because those phrases, equity inclusion, human capital management, are what appear in the SOC's mission statement as it stands already. And as it also is mentioned in this opening letter, they do say that the Bobby Kotick letter is better than the prior four or five messages coming out of the presidencies and other levels of Activision Blizzard, which is what we also pointed out in this series. This was by far the best letter that they put out there. And in terms of moving things along, actually firing or allowing to resign, J.A.B. at Blizzard, J. Allen Brack, was the sea change that marked Activision Blizzard moving in a different direction. And it's a sea change that we will see continued in the second half of this video. But even acknowledging that this letter is better, the SOC says, eh, it's not good enough. You're not addressing the deep and widespread issues with equity, inclusion, and human capital management, which is perhaps a little bit broader than what was accused of at Activision Blizzard by California or what Mr. Kotick is admitting to in the letter itself. To wit, the SOC Investment Group continues, no changes have been announced or proposed that would in any way alter the current process for filling vacancies either to the board of directors or to senior management. What are you changing in terms of the way you hire your board or your executives? No changes have been announced with respect to executive pay, either with respect to clawing back compensation from executives who are found to have engaged in or enabled abusive practices or to align executives with the equity goals Mr. Kotick articulated. So, what they're trying to do here is they're trying to take Mr. Kotick's letter and say, well, you say a couple of things here. One of which is, we will do everything possible. Mm. When you say we will do everything possible, that encompasses a lot of possibilities, doesn't it? Everything is pretty infinite in its scope. And so if you aren't clawing back compensation, clawing back being a legal term in general that says, hey, we gave you a $100,000 bonus last year because you failed us in some particular fashion. We want 50,000 of that back. We're clawing it back into our coffers. The problem with that, as you can imagine from a contractual standpoint, is once that money leaves your hands, in general, it's very difficult to retroactively say, give us that money back. Now you can say, well, you'll do this because if you don't, you won't have a bonus for the next five years or we'll terminate you or other things but actually affecting a clawback in that respect is difficult. And so that request is perhaps a little bit more problematic than some of the other things they asked for in this letter. So they asked for a clawback and to align executives with the equity goals Mr. Kotick articulated, to have bonuses premised around some kind of quantifiable metrics for inclusion and equity, which obviously becomes problematic because for the most part, quota systems don't work in the United States for reasons of the 14th Amendment and the various constitutions of the states. And you've got problems with that kind of discriminatory practice. And that's going to come up as part of this letter as well. The announced review by Wilmer Hale is deficient in a number of ways. This firm has a sterling reputation as a defender of the wealthy and connected, but it has no track record of uncovering wrongdoing. The lead investigator does not have in-depth experience investigating workplace harassment and abuse, and the scope of the investigation fails to address the full range of equity issues Mr. Kotick acknowledges. And here again, we see that kind of sliding base 
sliding goalposts here. Yes, absolutely. The, the Wilmer Hale complaints are, for the most part, justified. And they were justified when we first read the letter here in Virtual Legality, saying, why are you talking about SEC experience when you're talking about evaluating workplace policies? That's kind of odd. And that was seized upon, and I think rightly so, by the folks that don't like this particular part of the letter. But then you see them say, well, it doesn't even help with what Kotick says is the problem. If you actually read this letter word for word, you won't see an acknowledgement of a lot of specifics. It is imperative that we acknowledge all perspectives and experiences and respect the feelings of those who have been mistreated in any way is, if you're so inclined to read it against Activision Blizzard and Mr. Kotick, sounding a lot like, I'm very sorry you were hurt by what I said, rather than I'm very sorry for having said it, or something along those lines. I am sorry that we did not provide the right empathy and understanding. I'm not saying we did anything wrong. I'm saying that we could have presented our tone better. And that's about as far as you get from this. This is a much better letter. It has action items, things like that. But as we've talked about from all of the Activision Blizzard messaging, they're generally very careful to not admit to much of anything, which is what you would expect from this kind of messaging. But you see SOC try to suggest that Mr. Kotick has acknowledged a full range of equity issues when I don't think that's really the case. We believe that to ensure smooth operations and a strong reputation going forward, Activision Blizzard should commit to the following changes. One, increase board diversity and equity by adding a woman director, preferably one with a history of advocacy for marginalized people and communities by the end of 2021, this year, next couple of months, committing to gender balance on the board by 2025, a few years from now, and reserving at least one board seat for a nominee selected by current employees as their representative. Now, this is a big ask, as you can probably tell. The board of directors at a corporation are the head honchos. They are where the buck stops. They are who hire the C-level executives who pay their compensation, or at least approve of it. The company is paying that money out of its own coffers, and they are the ones that the shareholders can change. Now, part of that story, however, is that the shareholders are the ones in charge of naming that board of directors, at least as how the law is supposed to work. You can get all sorts of law review papers and other economic analysis that says, well, actually management controls these big companies because they help nominate the slates and shareholders for the most part just agree to the slates that the board wants them to agree to, et cetera, et cetera. Whether or not there are failings in corporate democracy as a result of these practices is a question for a completely other, much longer video. But as it stands right now, the shareholders are in charge of the questions of who are on the board of directors. And this is one of those areas where it doesn't directly respond to what's at issue here. California's accused you of not paying people equally. All right, let's address that problem. California has accused you of harassing women in your headquarters and elsewhere. Let's address that problem. It's a little bit unclear exactly why the employees should get a board member or why the actual composition of the board should be changed. We'll take a look. They have a bigger bullet point on this and they make their good case for why these should be related, but it isn't exactly related and it does match up with what their big problem is with a lot of these companies, which is in bullet two. Clawback bonuses from executives found to have engaged in or enabled abusive behavior, award no bonuses for 2021, where'd that come from, and make future bonus awards contingent on the company as a whole, achieving clearly articulated and independently verified milestones for diversity and equity. Okay, so you're being sued for harassment and pay issues. So you get no bonuses this year because of your lawsuit. And also we want all future bonuses to be based on achieving verified milestones of diversity and equity. Now, 
Some companies have agreed to this kind of thing, which they're going to point out in the next bullet. Some companies have not. In every case, it's going to be a potential problem, depending on what jurisdiction that you're operating in, what your legal requirements are, whether it's the Civil Rights Act, whether it's constitutional concerns. Corporations aren't the government, but when we start talking about government requirements for these things, the Constitution can be implicated, which we will see in this video. And so you've got all of these specific issues and some of the justifications for these kinds of things don't match up with what is actually happening in the lawsuit. Now, I don't have any problem with an activist investment group that has these particular things on its mission statement. Hey, we want to kill executive pay. We want to lower it so that employees get more money and they get bigger bonuses or whatever it is. And we want to do these various things about equity and inclusion to use this opportunity to go for it. But I do think it's much more easily dismissed when you don't focus down to what is actually being talked about in the story at hand. Finally, with their third bullet, they want to undertake a company-wide capital E, capital R equity review, similar to the racial equity reviews that Facebook, Airbnb, Starbucks, and BlackRock have completed or promised, (laughs) but that will encompass the full range of concerns, including inequities rooted in gender, gender identity, sexuality, and race, articulated by Mr. Kotick, Activision Blizzard employees and customers, equity and representation issues in game design, the development process, and in user forums and similar settings. So here's where you go for it all, right? If you're SOC, we want you to undertake this large full-scale review, not based on harassment or equal pay, but on gender identity, sexuality, race. We don't want it limited to your headquarters or even the things that are named by California. We want it extended to your game design, your development process, your user forums, and quote unquote, similar settings. And again, I don't really begrudge groups like this taking this swing, but it's worth noting that it's not terribly connected to what's at issue in this particular case. And then we get them announcing who they are. The SOC Investment Group is an Activision Blizzard shareholder and works with pension funds sponsored by unions affiliated with the Strategic Organizing Center, a coalition of four unions representing more than 4 million members to enhance long-term shareholder value through active ownership. And these funds have over $250 billion in assets under management and are also substantial Activision Blizzard shareholders. Essentially, they've given us the right to speak on their behalf, or so the SOC claims. And then they describe what they're asking for a little bit more fulsomely to try to tie it to this particular issue with California. Currently, Activision Blizzard's 10-member board of directors includes only two women and one person of color. That's 30% of the board. If they're separate, it's a little bit unclear as to what's happening with this particular claim. Consequently, Activision Blizzard is behind the average for both the S&P 500 and the Fortune 500 with respect to women directors and would also need to add one woman to its board by the end of 2021 to comply with California's Senate Bill 826. Now, if you aren't familiar with California Senate bills, I can't really blame you there, but this particular bill is an interesting one because it is being fought on a constitutional basis uh, and will face a lot of legal scrutiny. What does that bill do? Well, Here we see that just a month or two ago, the Ninth Circuit said that shareholders have standing to sue on this particular issue, and they described it as follows. The panel reversed the district court's dismissal for lack of standing of an action brought by a corporate shareholder challenging the constitutionality of California Senate Bill 826, which requires all public corporations headquartered in California to have a minimum number of females on their boards of directors. Plaintiff alleged that Senate Bill 826 requires shareholders to discriminate on the basis of sex when exercising their corporate voting rights in violation of the 14th Amendment. The panel held that plaintiff plausibly alleged that SB 826 requires or encourages him to discriminate based on sex. Plaintiff therefore adequately alleged an injury in fact 
the only Article 3 standing element at issue and thus had Article 3 standing to challenge SB 6. Plaintiff's alleged injury was also distinct from any injury to the corporation and he could bring his own 14th Amendment challenge. So the court here in the Ninth Circuit, which is reacting to a district court dismissal, they said the shareholder doesn't have standing to sue over the Senate bill because it mostly affects the corporation. We're talking about corporate fines if this isn't met. This Ninth Circuit says, no, no, the shareholder does have the right to sue on these constitutional concerns, which, if you're keeping score at home, isn't the government acting. So it's, you say, how could a shareholder violate the 14th Amendment? Well, there are jurisprudential precedents that suggest that if the government is forcing you or making it strongly encouraged for you to violate the 14th Amendment, to, for you to engage in discrimination in some capacity, then you can bring a suit that the government shouldn't be doing that. The government is trying to do what it can't otherwise do in discriminating uh, as between men and women in this particular case and asking you to do it on their behalf and you can sue with the standing that you have. Ninth Circuit found that there is that standing. It also has some language in this particular decision, which I will, of course, link in the description of this video, that suggests that they think it's pretty good. It's a pretty good case that there is actual injury here to the shareholder. And we'll see how that goes because the justice system is very slow. This was actually brought, I think, a couple of years ago, and then the district court acted a year ago, and now this was only a couple of months ago. Who knows where SB 826 winds up, but California corporations right now are in no position to actually match the SB 826 requirements by the end of this year across the board. So I'm expecting more legal challenges to this kind of rule. Nevertheless, the SOC quotes it as saying, hey, you guys are going to be outside compliance with SB 826. Furthermore, four current directors have served for well over 10 years, while four more will have reached 10 years of service by 2025. As many institutional investors have recognized that director independence wanes with long board service, shareholders increasingly call on boards to refresh their composition by replacing directors after they have completed a decade on the board. So this is, again, their defense of why they're asking for more women board members and here in the second half, why they're asking for an employee representative board member. But what you don't see is really tying the concept of the board and its responsibilities to what has happened at Activision Blizzard. In the second half, we get a little bit of that. Finally, none of the current directors appears to have working experience as a game designer, coder, or tester. But as current events clearly demonstrate, the board's lack of such expertise has left it struggling to respond to a burgeoning crisis that all indications suggest has been building for some time by requiring the Nominating and Governance Committee to nominate an employee designated by Activision Blizzard's workforce to serve as a representative director. The board would both demonstrate to the entire Activision Blizzard team that their views are important and will be heard at the highest level of the company and ensure that the board will not be caught out in similar fashion in the future. So we've got here a group that represents labor, represents labor unions that fights for employees and employee rights in whatever fashion they see fit finding that this particular situation is a great time to suggest that this corporation, which is not really that standard, especially for public corporations, have an employee representative that sits in on board meetings and presumably would get a board vote. They don't say that it should just be an observer or someone else that just watches uh, what happens in a board meeting. And I, I look at this and I say, again, take your shot. Absolutely. But it's hard to connect these things specifically with what's happening with California and Activision Blizzard. And it also aligns with what you ask for from other companies all the time. They also want to align that executive pay with diversity and equity commitments. We do not believe that the board and its compensation committee have been appropriately designing and awarding bonuses in the recent past. We already have a problem with how you operate. And we've seen that in video game journalism and as reports here in virtual legality as well about Bobby Kotick's pay, what equity he receives. We believe that the recent vote on Activision Blizzard's say on pay proposal demonstrates that we are far from the only shareholders taking this view. 
in light of the evident widespread and to date unaddressed problem of sexual harassment at the company, as well as the excessive bonus awards in the recent past, we believe that no bonuses should be awarded to executives for the current year. And here again, you just got to understand the tilt, right? Hey, we hate that stuff. We vote against say on pay at really every company we talk about. And hey, as it turns out, you're getting sued by California. So now's a great time to say no bonuses. Additionally, Activision Blizzard should ensure that its pay practices align with its equity and diversity goals by adopting a policy that it will not award bonuses to executives unless independently verified diversity and equity milestones have been achieved. So again, what you've got here is a paragraph that says we don't like executive pay. Who can blame them in certain respects, right? We've talked about Bobby Kotick's pay, the $200 million man here in virtual legality, but this very much appears to be an opportunistic thrust to say, ah, we've got this now, no bonuses, and we should be able to put in our requirements for when bonuses will happen ever again. And they asked for a comprehensive equity review led by investigators with relevant expertise. While we certainly agree that a comprehensive examination of harassment allegations did not take place previously and is imperative now, and further agree with Mr. Kotick that other aspects of Activision Blizzard's operations, such as inappropriate in-game content, need to be addressed we are unconvinced that either Ms. Avakian of Wilmer Hale are the appropriate partners in this process. As Ms. Avakian's numerous public biographies attest, she has a distinguished career as a corporate defense attorney and in enforcing securities law. Unfortunately, she appears to have had no experience investigating or prosecuting allegations of abuse, harassment, or discrimination. Moreover, Wilmer Hale has a sterling reputation in the corporate criminal defense and lobbying worlds, but little track record as an advocate for the abused, harassed, or discriminated against. Given that several major corporations, including Facebook, Airbnb, Starbucks, and BlackRock, have undertaken or committed to what has been variously described as a racial equity, civil rights, or human rights audit, we believe that counsel with much more direct, relevant investigatory experience is readily available and would be much more likely to reassure Activision Blizzard employees that their experiences will be heard and honestly presented to the board and senior management. Activision Blizzard should retain such expertise to conduct its own equity audit that would extend beyond the confines of reporting and compliance and address the full range of equity issues affecting Activision Blizzard's workplaces, operations, games, and user communities. You don't get much of a defense, more than what we saw in this third bullet point here, and we certainly don't get it tied specifically to what was happening in respect to the state of California. So at the end of the day, you've got a letter here from the SOC, formerly CTW, that does what we would expect it to do. And in so doing, I think provides Activision Blizzard with some cover to mostly ignore uh, a number of these requests. Activision Blizzard is clearly changing its tune from what those initial statements were, is clearly changing its tune from that kind of defiance of the state of California. We saw that with some of the Blizzard firings last week. We will see that again in the next story that we're about to talk about. But going this far, actually saying, hey, we're not going to have bonuses this year, which might work for public relations, might not. And we're going to condition future bonuses on some kind of milestones that we don't understand. We don't know what we're agreeing to, that we're going to change the makeup of our board of directors significantly based on all of this is potentially, in my opinion, going a little bit too far and coming from this particular voice is easily dismissed by corporations and C-level executives. You don't have to like that. You don't have to like that conclusion that I draw there. But I do think it's worth pointing out because this is the problem when you've got activist investors is if they've got the things that they ask for every single time, every single meeting, every single proxy, when it turns out that this story means that, oh, as it turns out, this justifies all of our requests, it's much easier to dismiss. Now, 
With respect to Activision Blizzard changing its stripes, one of the things we saw in Kotick's letter is he said that anybody found to be enabling this behavior would be terminated. And as Kotaku figured out yesterday, and I have to give respect where it's due, Kotaku's done a good job of kind of finding things out about Activision Blizzard as this goes on. Jesse McCree, Diablo 4 director, no longer at Activision Blizzard. Diablo 4 game director, Louis Bariga, and I apologize for pronunciations, lead designer, Jesse McCree, and World of Warcraft designer, Jonathan LeCraft, were let go from Blizzard on Wednesday. Two sources with knowledge of the move told Kotaku. The news was delivered to development teams today, but has not yet been officially announced. A source confirmed to Kotaku that the three developers' names are no longer visible at Blizzard's internal directory or Slack. A spokesperson for Activision reached out to Kotaku at about 6.20 last night and confirmed the departures in an email. We can confirm Louis Bariga, Jesse McCree, and Jonathan LeCraft are no longer with the company, but they want to assure people, specifically their investors, we have a deep, talented roster of developers already in place and new leaders have been assigned where appropriate. We are confident in our ability to continue progress, deliver amazing experiences to our players, and move forward to ensure a safe, productive work environment for all. But even with that said, it's important to note, these are big names. The game director, the lead designer, and a World of Warcraft designer all axed, presumably based on this. One source who learned of the news said Activision Blizzard did not give a reason for the departures, but they do come as the company reckons with a California lawsuit, which we've discussed at length here in Virtual Legality. Jesse McCree, the namesake for Overwatch's beloved cowboy figure, McCree, and most recently a designer on Diablo 4, was one of several current and former Blizzard developers who appeared in an image of a BlizzCon 2013 Cosby suite. And you can see that discussed here again in the devil in the details. The picture there is included a little bit in the thumbnail. And it says the suite contained booze and a giant portrait of Bill Cosby and reportedly belonged to World of Warcraft developer Alex Afrasiabi. I belonged is perhaps a little strong for a hotel room, uh, but fair enough. Afrasiabi related references have since been removed from World of Warcraft, though there's no word yet on whether or not Overwatch and its gunslinger will see any changes in light of the latest news. It seems hard to believe that they wouldn't if Mr. McCree is being fired for things like why Mr. Afrasiabi was fired. Jonathan LeCraft and Corey Stockton, currently a lead game designer at Blizzard, were also pictured in that suite. Two sources confirmed to Kotaku that Stockton was put on leave last week, but appears to remain with the company. Louis Bariga had been at Blizzard since 2006 and as game director has been one of the faces of Diablo 4 since it was initially revealed. These are big names, big ticket items in the world of Blizzard and Activision, and you do see them moving to fire folks. Uh, you don't see that referenced here, but it certainly appears to be the case. I think you can read between the lines on these kinds of things. And it appears that Bobby Kotick is saying what he said in that letter, and he's taking it very seriously and saying, I'm going to fire people that are fireable for these kinds of things. Anyone found to have impeded the integrity of our processes for evaluating claims and imposing inappropriate, opposing appropriate consequences will be terminated. And you get these kinds of news items. Is that going to be enough in the long term? Is that going to stop SOC or CTW or in the employer group? I doubt it very much. But you do see Activision Blizzard trying to address certain changes that can be made. At the end of the day, we'll have to keep following Activision Blizzard to see what happens from here. But ultimately, we can see now that they are being much more conciliatory, that Activision Blizzard has basically changed its stripes. And we won't expect to see that same kind of defiance to the state of California. It will be interesting to see exactly how quickly this thing settles, what goes on from here from Activision Blizzard and the California sides, because it's clear that they are no longer taking that stance of California is just evil and seeking to harm us and are now taking steps to address some of the problems that were identified in that original lawsuit. Will they fight it? 
probably still, but it probably won't end in litigation where you or I or anyone else gets many more answers in this respect. We will, of course, continue to cover it as more news stories come out. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy talking about these kinds of things, the business and law of video games, pop culture, technology, and the rest, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon and other avenues of support, which you can find in the description of this video. Or if you just subscribe and tell your friends, every little bit counts. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.